Todaysrealtalk.com, todaysrealtalk.com, todaysrealtalk.com. Justin Kazepis joined today by some investors. Investing in real estate, um, I think, is what everyone wants to do now. For whatever reason, people think it's easy. People think it is uh, the secret sauce to wealth. And that's true to an extent. But it's only true when you've got the proper relationships and partners to help simplify and make things easier for you. And as personally um, a real estate attorney, uh, a real estate investor, um, access to capital is always going to be a necessity and is always going to take uh, a relationship to help be successful. And there are some people out there, in particular a company out there, that I think is rocking the boat a little bit these days when it comes to investing and providing capital and real estate. And that is Marshall Reddick Real Estate, based out of California, but does work nationally. And we've got a couple of people from Marshall Reddick Joining us today, Patrick Prunty and Stephanie Miller. How are you guys doing today? Great, Justin. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Patrick, how are we doing? Fantastic. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for coming alongside and coming on the show. Um, I know you guys are busy. You guys are doing a lot of deals these days. You're spending a lot of time educating people, um, not just about Marshall Reddick, but about real estate investing. And that's why I thought it'd be a good opportunity for you guys to come on and, and us really share with the people because you, you've got me intrigued. And I'll tell you, I see a lot of different avenues from my attorney perspective of people, people pitching their financial, their capital, their solutions in the game. Um, but one of the things that sparks my interest about Marshall Reddick, I think more than anyone else when I, from who I see, and that's your transparency. And I, that's what I, a, a topic I really want to hit on today. But before we dive into some numbers, which I love numbers, by the way, because numbers don't lie, right? Like I, like I may tell a fib every once in a while, but numbers don't lie. So that's good. But Patrick, give me your background. And then Stephanie, I want to hear from you too. Patrick, you're the fund manager. Am, am I, is that the title officially? Or we, what, what's our title officially these days? I get called a lot of different things, but I guess the official title would be Director of Private Lending. And a part of that role, of course, is uh, the Principal Manager of the Marshall Reddick Mortgage Fund. So as Director, is it that the buck stops with you? Like, hey, I need this. Stephanie's giving me a hard time. Patrick, I'm coming to you because Stephanie just isn't letting this happen right now. Is that is that how it goes on the daily basis usually or what? A lot of good cop, bad cop happening over <laughs> here, you bet. But uh, no, you know, um, my team, Stephanie, namely, they get, you know, open decision-making autonomy to, to do those things. I'm just here in case something goes sideways. Um, you know, an ultimate resource, maybe an ultimate decision-maker if there's a discrepancy, you know, th that type of thing. And so I imagine the real person who I need to have on my uh, cookies and flour list at the end of the year is Stephanie, because I imagine she's the one who is really going to say whether or not something's going to be allowed. So Stephanie, I, Patrick's a nice guy and everything, but I want to hear from you and what your role has been with Marshall Reddick and, and your experience thus far. Ignore that Patrick's in the room. Okay, we don't really care about You can be open and honest with me. Um, 
tell us about your experience with Marshall Reddick and, and what you, um, what your daily role is there. Yeah, so um, I've been with Marshall Reddick for coming on five years now. Um, I started as a transaction coordinator, just kind of diving right in. And over the years, I've, um, you know, uh, got a lot of experience in closing loans and underwriting. And so uh, most recently, I guess my title is um, underwriting team lead. So I help the underwriting uh, team and uh, making sure all of our, you know, mortgages are, um you know, fit within our guidelines. So when you say when the, the, what you're describing to me from comparing to a traditional lending institution, are you in essence the underwriter in the transaction? Is that, is that a good way for someone who isn't familiar more with private lending to describe your role as? Yeah. Um, so the, the past few years, I was an underwriter. I still am in underwriting, but now I'm more so helping a team of underwriters, um, you know, with, with their deal flow. And um, part of my job role is focusing on new borrower business most recently as well. And so you, you guys are all about the relationship. That's what I hear you guys talk about in a lot of your seminars, your webinars, and, and, and even on your materials that, that you guys distribute to people. So, so let's say someone wants to uh, get a loan. Let's, let's say I'm an investor. I want to get a loan from Marshall Reddick Real Estate. I saw it on this cool podcast called Today's Real Talk, and I'm interested in finding out more and how to fund my deal. Stephanie, am I calling you directly? Am I calling Patrick? Am I doing a website inquiry? What am I doing to get more information on how to get my deal funded? Yeah, so um, you would either um, talk to myself, you could talk to Patrick or any of the underwriters on our team. I think our team is a little bit um, unique in that an underwriter isn't just an underwriter. An underwriter is more so a loan officer, a processor, an underwriter. They're really, um, you know, going hand in hand with the borrower from start to finish. And I, I want a loan and let's say I've never worked with you guys before. Am I, do I need to give you bank statements? Is that something I need to give you? Do I need to have that ready? Yeah. Bank statements. Do, uh, I, do I need to have a W-2 for you or a 1099 or anything like that? We're an asset-based lender, so we don't check, um, you know, debt-to-income ratios, tax returns, W-2 income, that that sort of thing. So what, what, do I, what do I need to bring to the table? What is it that, why would you say no to me? What, what is going to say no, no, Justin, we're not going to fund your deal? Uh, a couple of reasons. One being the property is just dilapidated and we just don't see value in the actual property that you're trying to get a loan on. Um, or another reason could be you just don't have cash. Um, so we lend at high loan to values. And so um, our loan amounts are high loan to value, but we do require some skin in the game from the borrower. So um, cash cash is also king. Patrick, what explain to me loan to value ratio. What do you guys mean your high loan to value ratio? Sure. Well, we make a number of different types of loans. Um, our highest loan to value deals will be in our renovation program, which is generally used by fix and flippers or um, for those bigger pockets folks, the Burr method um, by uh, and, you know, renovate rent and then refinance. Right. So we would be lending 90 um, percent of acquisition and up to 100 percent of renovation so long as our maximum loan amount is no more than 70% of after renovation value. 
So let's say I can I can buy a place for twenty thousand and I want to put fifty into it and at the end I believe it's gonna be worth a hundred. So if I need seventy thousand both for acquisition and for renovation, so long as I show you proof that the value will be a hundred thousand at the end of that, you guys would fully fund that deal? We would, um, you know, going back to Stephanie's comment about the collateral nature of our lending program, we ultimately look through the lens of, are we okay owning that asset for that loan amount in that loan structure for that interest rate? And if we're not, that's one of the reasons we would say no. So in your specific example, unlikely that we're going to lend against a $20,000 acquisition, right? Unlikely because we're unlikely going to want to own that asset, which would be our worst case scenario in the event of borrower default. So in your experience, then, is there a minimum threshold almost? That's what it, what it almost sounds like, that there's a minimum value that you're looking for? We certainly have guidelines and guidelines are there to keep us, um, you know, focused. But we break the guidelines all the time for the right deal, for the right borrower, you mentioned relationship, uh, you know, certainly every deal that you do with us gets a little bit easier. Um, and sir, we have a minimum loan amount that's generally 35,000, um, 50,000 in some instances. We don't necessarily like to see a purchase price lower than the total amount of rehab, which was in your example of a 20,000 acquisition and a 50 renovation, but your numbers were exactly correct. At the end of the day, I would reverse those numbers for the example. So if it was 100,000 ARV, 50K acquisition and 20K renovation, that would be perfect and right in our wheelhouse. Okay. Okay. So I got I to gotta find not such a dilapidated property. I need to step my game up a little bit for you guys to, to get it to be an asset you're interested in. Uh, yes and no, right? It all comes with experience, sure. right? So again, the first deal, the first one, two, or three that any borrower comes to us with, we're going to look a little bit closer. We're going to examine in our underwriting process uh, your prior history, your experience, um, you know, what kind of transactions are coming in and out of that bank account that you show us that statement for. We're going to have an interview process with you on the telephone and see if you can talk the talk and the lingo. And at the end of the day, we're not going to beat around the bush, right? We're going to formulate our opinion of after renovation value and present the borrower with a loan structure that we're comfortable with that fits our guidelines. And then you get to say yes or no. If it's no, you haven't paid us anything. Our, our fees are all charged on the back end like a commission, uh, like a real estate commission or any other lender would. Um, and if you say yes to us, great, then we'll engage. We'll take care of escrow, insurance, title, you name it, and we'll walk you right to the finish line. You mentioned an interview process. And, and so, Stephanie, let's, let's help someone who um, it isn't um, – an expert real estate investor, an expert fix and flipper, someone who's just starting off in the game. What are those key words and that lingo that you guys really look for? And I'm not trying to give somebody the cheat sheet. That's not what I mean. But but from a from a perspective of of knowing the colloquial terms, uh, what is it that you guys look for? 
I wouldn't even necessarily call it a, a lingo per se. I would just say, um, I describe it more in them having all of their ducks in a row, right? Do they have a contractor if they're fixing up the property that they've communicated with and that they have lined up? Do they, um, you know, have a real estate agent involved? Do they have all of these, um, you know, do they have, have they done research? If they are, you know, just calling and, you know, they're the weekend warrior, like we like to call it, and they're, um, you know, watching HGTV on the weekends and they've done no research and just said, you, you know, say Monday morning, I, I want to go flip a property. Well, we're probably not going to lend to you. Um, if you're a first timer, like Patrick mentioned, we're, you know, definitely lend to you, but, you know, have some, have some research uh, done and contractors and real estate agents and, and things of that sorts, comp, comps pulled for a property that you found, um, you know, research. Yeah, absolutely. Knowing knowing that most of these loans, um, and, and you guys know which ones do require some type of rehab, um, is there anything you guys look for when you mention contractors of having that information from the investor as far as the contacts for contractors or anything, anything related? Because where my mind is going to is when someone does work to a property here in North Carolina, we have a statutory labor lien period, let's say, right? And you guys want to protect the asset. So is there anything on your end that you do from a lien waiver perspective on contractors and subs doing work on the property? Or no, is that is that kind of where that relationship piece comes into play? Part of the evaluation, as Stephanie is saying, ducks in a row of who's going to be doing work and, and kind of how that person talks about the, their subs. It's an organizational thing. I mean, someone comes to you, Hey, I've got this property under contract. You know, we, we punch in their loan application. And then of course we ask for a set of deliverables, scope of work, photos, comps to support your opinion of after renovation value, right? And if I, there's delays in getting that information, if it's piecemeal, if it's not organized and easy to provide, that's a clear indicator that the borrower lacks experience or hasn't done their due diligence, okay? Now, specifically to go to your question about the lien waivers and things of that nature, um, definitely a lot to do with the relationship with the borrower. But on the front end and underwriting, right, if you're using a GC, we're generally going to want to have a call with that GC, right? Um, not all GCs speak the same language, right? But And we're not going to do it behind your back. It's going to be, look, borrower, GC, underwriter. This is going to be a five to 10 minute conversation. Again, do they talk the language? Are they, do, are they familiar with the project? Have they even heard of the project or is the borrower not spoken to them about it? And then ultimately from protecting the asset and from protecting the collateral coming from our mortgage fund or from an individual lender, we're going to, prior to our release of our last draw, or at some point down the line, we're going to pull a title update and we're going to see if we've got clear title, if we have any mechanics liens, if we have any junk that's, uh, you know, been assessed or is perfected against the property that we were unaware of. That is also going to be a relationship builder or damager. If you've done something behind the scenes, like pulled a junior lien or not paid your contractor, zero tolerance policy. Out the door, done. That's, That's right. Don't expect to borrow money from us again. That's but it. on the positive side of that note or of that coin, right? You do a good job. You make your payments on time, right? You get the deal completed. Flipping property is hard, right? You might lose money sometimes. You pay off your loan. You step up when you need to. There is unlimited capital 
coming out of this company for the right borrower and the right deals. We make it very simple, no red tape, right? Again, this is, this is non-owner occupied, first lien position only, right? And this is going to be collateral based. So we're not gonna be looking at your DTI. We're not gonna ask for income documentation. We are gonna wanna take a look at the bank statement. We are gonna look at your entity documents and make sure that there's no uh, lawsuits going on in public records against that entity. Right. But at the end of the day, we're taking a chance on you and your deal. You do a good job. We do more. You like us. We like you. The sky is the limit. So you say DTI, so debt to income and income verification. So if I've got just purely a real estate holding entity that on paper and financially isn't an income producing entity, but it's merely my real estate holding entity, you guys aren't focusing on that from an IRS tax perspective or anything like that, trying to investigate those kind of entity pieces and how I structure my internal companies. Is that something else or, or how do you guys feel about that stuff? We're definitely going to want to understand the entity structure, but we're not looking to verify income. It doesn't need to be an income generating entity like a true business. People have all kinds of structures and we're fine with that. We're pretty intuitive and we'll ask the right questions to figure out how it's actually structured. But we lend to individuals, LLCs, corporations, self-directed IRAs, family trusts, you name it. We're not afraid of any of those. We just want to know who are the principals, who are the signatories, who's got the authority to do so. Right. That's another one of those issues when it comes down to your organizational and your deliverables to us. Right. If you tell me you don't have an operating agreement or you send me one that, that is unsigned or that's in word form, it just doesn't look professional. Those are some of those little red flags that we're going to look for. Is you, are you buttoned up as a borrower? It gives us a good understanding is whether you know what you're doing or not. Shocking that a lender would ask for an operating agreement within a <laughs> transaction. My goodness, that's just asking for too much, Patrick. Already, I'm nervous. My goodness, but uh, so so you're talking um, about certain things because what we're, our focus has been on thus far is it for the fix and flipper. But you've alluded to the fact that Marshall Reddick does have different investment options. Maybe I'm not the active investor in real estate, meaning maybe I'm not out there doing fix and flips, worried about materials and the sourcing of lumber and concrete and everything else in the world right now. Maybe I just want to passively or even semi-passively invest in real estate. Um, I, I do want to get into self-directed IRAs because I think that that is um, significant potential there. But but let's talk about how do you guys fund your deals? You mentioned both, both Marshall Reddick funding it, but then what, third-party sources that want to fund deals? Tell me about that. Yeah, so um, just like, you know, a real estate investor going the fix and flip route, we also have real estate investors, individuals like you, Justin, or Patrick, or myself, who are passively looking to become the bank, if you will, and we like to call it collect mailbox money. And so essentially, instead of uh, being the fix and flipper and investing in the, you know, in, in real estate, you can invest in mortgages and become the lender on that individual mortgage. How can I become an investor? What if I, well, I let's say I've got minimum, you said what, minimum is 35,000, right? On the loan, let's say I've got $35,000 just sitting in an account that's that's getting dusty and has moths flying around on it. When I wanted to do something with it, I'm tired of point what, zero, zero, one percent in my savings account. W what do I do to invest that with you guys? If I want to actively invest in one particular property or one particular transaction. Yeah, 
Yeah, so um, we have the Marshall Reddick Market or Marshall Reddick Marketplace. Um, so we have, um, you know, a, a website and we have an invest tab and on that invest tab, you know, there's a, diff- a couple different options. And so specifically you want to invest in one mortgage, you would go to the mortgages tab and we list all of our available mortgage investments ranging from 35,000 to, you know, a million plus. And so uh, you would go to that website, kind of see what's available, uh, reach out to us so that we could be on the lookout as well. And then um, once you see something that you like, um, Everything's done online. So you mentioned your website, MarshallReddick.com, right? That's the website, MarshallReddick.com. We'll put the link in there for people. And if I go under invest, I can look at all of these properties that are looking for funding. Are those properties that you guys have said internally, hey, you know, that's not a bad deal, but we aren't looking to fund that one ourselves. We're willing to put that one to our market though, to see if someone does want to invest. How does a property land there as compared to just me calling you and saying, Hey, I've got one and you guys are, yep, we're good to go. What's the difference? Yeah. Um, there, that doesn't exist. Let's put it that way, right? Every loan that becomes available on our mortgage marketplace is a deal that we would fund ourselves. Okay, Uh, we've established our own set of, uh, you know, company guidelines, those that we follow from a lending perspective, and we publish those. You talked about transparency. So we publish those guidelines right on the website that's in the borrow section of MarshallReddick.com. But ultimately, you know, we take the borrower's loan application, we run it through underwriting, right? We formulate our opinions of value and our loan structure, again, based on those guidelines, and then we publish it available. And on that marketplace is where our individual or our direct lenders go to shop deals that make sense for them. But that's also where our Marshall Reddick mortgage fund, our syndication that we haven't gotten into, goes to fund those deals. But at the end of the day, we only have a limited or a finite amount of capital. That's the direct lender basis. And that's also in the mortgage fund. So this is a a robust and a rapidly changing marketplace where new originations are happening, where secondary market transactions are happening, almost like uh, the sale of performing notes or deeds of trust, if you will. And so you're going to find a lot of different options and there's availability there for you to browse, to see how we present each mortgage. And we feel that, you know, this is sort of like a multiple listing service, but for loans. So you can go there and you can see the values and the comps that the underwriter has selected and the appraisal is available for download. Um, You know, the third parties that are involved, title, escrow, um, the insurance company, you know, because people want to do their own due diligence, right? Again, let's just show everybody what we're doing. If you like what we're doing, you want to invest with us or you want to borrow from us, great. We'd love to have you. And if you don't, we understand. Patrick, you, you made me nervous the first time asking for operating agreements, and now you're talking about the servicing and notes and being able to buy and sell mortgages on a secondary market. We need to slow down a little bit because there's people jumping ship right now with your fancy terminology you're throwing out there, okay? So let's back up just a smidge for a second here. When I see a, a property posted on your website, is that still available to fund, or is that more so showcasing, hey, here's the properties we've helped put together and connect capital partners and real estate um, gurus with? 
So Patrick mentioned transparency. And so all of the loans that make it available on our website never go away. They just change loan status, right? So if you go on our um, on our marketplace, anything that is under the loan status available is available for funding. Uh, anything that is in a status after available already has a lender commitment and it kind of just goes through the process, right? So after available, someone picks up that mortgage, it would go to funding and process to, you know, approve for funding. That's kind of the escrow process. And then it would go to fund it. So that loan, you know, once it's closed and the lender's wired in the money and everything's good to go and they're collecting interest, um, those loans are, loans are at funded status. After that, it goes to payoff requested and then ultimately to paid in full. So we show each loan um, from, you know, the available status all the way through payoff. You guys do 30-year loans, right? We do. Patrick, you were going to say something right there. I, could, I saw it on your face. Yeah, no worries. I was just going to say it's all about just showing our entire loan history, right? You asked, are all the listings in a mortgage marketplace that are there, are those all, you know, trying to plug and play borrowers and lenders? And the answer is no, right? Those that are in available status, as Stephanie mentioned, would be those that were actively looking for capital to fund those deals. But we want to show everyone in the world what our entire loan history was on every loan that we've done. And so we just publish every loan and it just changes loan status. That way people can see in real time, what does our pipeline look like? What's our historical default rate been? How many deals have we done over the last decade and so on? When you have that conversation, the initial interview, let's call it with, with a new real estate investor who's doing the fix and flip, do you guys have a, a I would imagine some type of gut feeling, if you will, of how long that, that, property is going to sit in the marketplace before it is actually funded. What's the sweet spot? What, what would, is it, is it a yield concept? That's the sweet spot. Is it a loan to value? Is it a particular geographical area? What are you guys finding is just that sauce right now? If someone brought you a property, this one's gone tomorrow, which one's it going to be? Yeah, I hate to say it, but everyone's starving for yield. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we put, you know, the highest interest rate that we lend at is 12%. Mm -hmm. We could get more than that, but we strive not to because we want to attract the best of the best from a borrower clientele perspective. But, you know, if it's a reasonable loan to value at 12%, I mean, I don't even have to publish it. I could shop it behind the scenes and have it funded in 30 seconds. And do you guys find that that's the most common that you guys are doing is shopping it and internally? And then, so basically by the time it lands on the site in the marketplace, we're pretty much into what escrow or review for funding status or funded status. Is that, is that most common? Would you say these days with as hot as real estate is right? That's going to come with the ebbs and flows in the marketplace, but, but right now. Not necessarily. Um, you know, we do like to keep a good flow of inventory available. Everybody wants to get involved and nobody wants to lose out on a deal. So we spread everything around, um, but we do strive to make every loan that becomes approved in our underwriting department um, as an available investment, at least let it run its course. Um, maybe that's 24 hours. 
uh, and we may have multiple commitments from a lender. And so we generally work through those commitments on a first come first serve basis. Um, but you'd be surprised. People are on there just trying to learn how this all works and they're clicking buttons and, you know, we've got a live escrow, right? So we have to have an interview process with that investor, that lender, because we've got a borrower on the back end as well that's relying on us to close that deal on time. When we say the money's going to be there, it's going to be there. It poses an issue for us sometimes with first-time lenders. And so we need to make sure that, A, simple things. Do you know how to wire money? Is the bank account that the money's sitting in, um, does it have wire uh, transfer capabilities, Right. And then people are like, why do we have to wire transfer? I'm like, it's a real estate transaction. That's how they happen. You know, there's a lot of education that goes on behind the scenes. And again, relationship, not only in the borrower side, but the lender side. Right. It's like you're going to have a consultation with us and an ongoing regular basis. Right. You're going to have one point of contact that you work with over here regularly. And we strive to service you in a, in a top notch customer service fashion. How many uh, employees or even, I don't know if you guys do any independent contractor work and telling Marshall, Reddick, how many employees does Marshall Reddick currently have that someone could speak with? Uh, across all of our offices, about a hundred um, wow. in the private lending department, um, six or seven. So you guys aren't working just out of like a garage anymore. You guys probably have like some legit office space or something I'd imagine. I don't know if you're using it these days or not, but I imagine um, things, things have come a long way, which is exciting. But from, so let's say then that I'm a first time investor. Let's say I want to give you some money. Uh, I try. Patrick, you seem like a nice guy. You dress well. You seem like you know what you're talking about. You, you've passed some smell tests right now, and I want to throw some cash at you. Um, am I ever going to see Marshall Reddick as the beneficiary listed on the security instrument, or will it always be my own entity and myself um, listed if I want what, it, what on the security instrument? That's a fantastic question. Remember, we have two options for the the lender, the investor to um, be the passive bank in the transaction, if you will. So in our direct lending program, you'll never find Marshall Reddick um, on the promissory note, on the deed of trust or mortgage, right? If you want to be a direct lender, you want to fund 100% of that deal. We don't do any fractionalization or crowdfunding or multi-lender notes or whatever you want to call it, right? So you choose the deal. You earn 100% of the interest. It is your name or your LLC or your family trust listed on that paperwork. The opposite end of that is our syndication or our mortgage fund which there's pros and cons to direct lending versus the mortgage fund. In the mortgage fund, you lose the choice, right? You're understanding the model and you're choosing to buy um, a percentage of the total capital in the fund, minimum $25,000 investment. And in the fund situation, it is Marshall Reddick Mortgage Fund LLC, who is on all of the paperwork, who makes all of the decisions on the loans that get funded. And you take an even further passive backseat compared to the direct lending where you're making the choice and it's your name on the paperwork. Well, Patrick, who's making the real call then for Marshall? Is it you? Is it Stephanie? Again, who, who, who's the one that I need to send flowers and chocolate to each year to have some conversations with about how to make the money grow even more? Is it you that's making the decisions on the deals or is it a team effort? Give me the back end if you can. It's definitely a team effort, right? But if uh, you really want to know the inside track, you need to send the flowers and chocolates to Stephanie when you want to be a direct lender. She has the pulse on the underwriting team and the deals that are working their way through the pipeline, right? I, at the end of the day, I'm the chooser, the decision maker when it comes to the loans and the assets that are selected by Marshall Reddick Mortgage Fund. 
And I hate to say it, but today the mortgage fund is cherry picking the best of the best deals, right? That's, it's the wave of the future. It's the scalability for our business. But that doesn't mean that those that the mortgage fund doesn't take are bad deals. And that's a very key uh, point to make here. Again, every loan that becomes available on our marketplace is a Marshall Reddick stamped, approved, analyst, underwritten, fully in-house deal which means that we would do it ourselves, meaning the mortgage fund or myself personally or Stephanie personally. But at the end of the day, we have a finite amount of capital. And so we must go to our uh, direct lending capital base and shop that deal. Stephanie, how did you get your start in real estate? Uh, straight out of college. And what was it? What, what did you do? What, what was it that you said, man, real estate is it. I'm going for it. What was it? To be honest, Marshall Reddick. <laughs> straight from, so started, straight yeah, from college straight to Marshall college, Reddick. I started with Marshall Reddick and, um, yeah, fell in love with real estate and just kind of hit the ground running. Now, has Patrick always been your supervisor at Marshall Reddick as well? or So he, he taught, did he teach you? You can give him some credit. Don't give him a lot of credit. But did he teach you everything Patrick, or what? <laughs> I can give Patrick a lot of credit, yeah. <laughs> Patrick, how about you? What, what was your start in real estate? How did, when did you catch the bug and, and, and how's that come about? Yeah, interesting question, and I'll answer it the same, right? So um, I also was a college intern, right? So I graduated in uh, 2004, and I got a an internship with Marshall Reddick in 2003. So 18 years, um, and I've just eyes open to all different types of investing. And so Stephanie are, and I are very, very lucky, right? We get to underwrite people's deals for a living, we get to mix and match investors with borrowers. We get access on the inside track due to our connections and our relationships at, uh, with Marshall Reddick all over the country. And so it really is a dream job. I love what I do. I, I, I think Stephanie yeah. feels the same. I'll let her speak to that. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, it's our goal to, you know, help other people see the same types of opportunities that we've had on the inside track. Is there any particular, I want to get into the, to the concept of, of still funding in, in individual investors, but the source of capital from the actual loan investor, you mentioned IRA funds. Is there a particular IRA company, right? That where the funds will be coming from that someone has their account set up with that you find um, is easiest to work with in the process? Because I imagine you guys have seen all the different companies of IRAs and the ones as far as where the funding's coming from and what it's like working with them. You probably have a cheat sheet of notes in the background, I would imagine, when certain ones pop up. Is there any particular IRA that, that stands out to you guys as a good one to, to get funding from and work with through the process? Forged Trust. Forged Trust. Forge Trust, I, uh, formerly IRA Services. Um, they're a, a self-directed IRA custodian and they're just, they're great to work with. And um, we work with a couple others. Equity Trust is good as well, but um, it really, you know, the relationship matters and we have relationships with people within those companies that really make the difference. I, I won't ask you for a particular name, but you can either just smile or just say yes is there a list you guys have that when you see the name, everyone starts sweating a little bit and tries to pass the file off to somebody else? Does that exist internally? 
It does. Okay, that's what I thought. And that's Can fair. we use <laughs> it's up to you. I mean, hey, it's your call. It's your <laughs> if you're an IRA investor and looking to set up your self-directed IRA, do yourself a favor and don't sign up with Millennium Trust. Mm-hmm. Okay. Millennium Trust is is the one who, uh, okay. All right. Well, hey, I, I believe you guys. I'm not going to say I don't believe you. I just, you know, hey. The custodian should do a good job and should offer top-notch customer service. They shouldn't put a barrier to allowing you to invest your funds. Don't forget, they're yours, not theirs. Mm. Okay. Well, that's fair. I mean, hey, I can't say it's not fair for you to tell the truth right now, Patrick. And I believe you right now. You're saying it so boldly and so directly that I have a hard time well, believing. I'm, as I mentioned, right, we we use, I mean, all types of investment entities, LLCs, trusts, self-directed IRAs, solo 401ks. And a lot of people do like to use the self-directed IRA for lending particularly. Uh, it's great for rental ownership too, but you run into unrelated business income tax um, when you're actually owning and leveraging real estate, which is not the end of the world, but it's somewhat complicated. But um, at the end of the day, you know, uh, the IRA is a fantastic vehicle. We support it and we've used all types of custodians. I and mean, Stephanie mentioned a couple, but, uh, you know, at least a dozen different IRA custodians that we've regularly worked with. So we get good perspective on who's good and who's not. Let me let me let me throw that lingo back at you as far as note servicing, Patrick, because you you mentioned that concept. Do you guys facilitate? Let's say I invested in the original uh, promissory note and, and have the security instrument first lien on the property. It's it's making money, but you know what? I, I I'm, it wasn't for me. I'm really not looking. I want to get this capital out. Do you guys facilitate note selling and transferring with it internally? We do. Yeah, that same marketplace where all of our originations occur, um, what we call buy alone transactions are available. So, I mean, think about how a conventional lender originates a loan and dumps it to Fannie Mae. Um, we don't necessarily do it that quick. Um, and we don't advise that, you know, any of our direct lenders fund loans with the idea of, hey, I'm going to sell this in six months or in six years, depending on the loan term. But things happen, right? Financial emergencies, family, medical emergencies, you never know. So anybody who lends money with us knows that at the end of the day, if you do need to exit, you can always come back to us. And, you know, we offer a fiduciary responsibility there. Whereas like generally those people who are buying notes in that space, those people are looking, they're like the JG Wentworths that are trying to offer you 50 cents on the dollar and don't have a fiduciary responsibility or a desire to help you sell at par or get the most back out of that note that you're selling. So that's another value add that we can offer is that if you do need to sell, we obviously have access to the buyers Right. And they're not necessarily institutional buyers who have to buy at such steep discounts uh, and therefore help you get as much of the cash back out of that sale as possible. Do you see most of the time that in the note selling side, um, there is a loss or for the original investor or is there a game to be had in just originating and then selling the notes? The... Direct lender can't make money by originating and selling the notes that they would have to do so by selling at a premium, and that's not necessarily going to happen. Um, And that's a function of very, very low interest rates. 
Now, um, we've never actually seen a loss of principal in a note sale either. Um, we do uh, often see a discount on the remaining principal balance. But when you're selling at a discount, you're simply just giving up some of the interest that you've earned over the term that you have been the lender. So for example, if you originate a five-year loan with us and you've got the first lien and you've got that family emergency or you need the cash for something else, right? Well, you've earned uh, however many years of interest thus far. So when you go to sell and your remaining principal balance is 100 and then you end up selling at 98,000, so a $2,000 discount, you're just giving up $2,000 of interest that you've earned, but you're by no means losing principal. Stephanie, I, I'm I'm confused at this point as to if I'm going to invest in real estate and want to invest in a note, who 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 are you guys competing against? Because I I I'm not aware, and and I'm not in the know like you guys are. You know your competitors more than I do. I would imagine you guys wouldn't be good at what you did if you if you didn't know the answer to this. Why would somebody not choose you guys? I'm just out of, just out of curiosity. If if we can get honest about it, what is it? What 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 is the reason why someone's not a good fit for you to invest in in notes and and fund deals? Um, I think. Going back to what Patrick mentioned, trying to purchase, you know, notes on pennies, pennies on the dollar. Um, we don't necessarily offer, you know, um, opportunities to, um, you know, take over a, a non-performing note and you potentially, you know, turn it around and, and make a, a killing. Um, we primarily offer just safe and sound, you know, um, performing loans where you're going to make a, a, a decent amount of interest, but you're not necessarily going to, you know, double your money. So you guys aren't one of these uh, subprime servicers, as I believe the, the lingo is uh, back in the, the, the great fall that was, uh, mm -hmm. and you guys aren't looking to scam anyone. Is that an accurate assessment of, of what I'm Fair hearing? Enough. Okay. All right. Well, so if I'm not it's looking to scam. your mouth, look, Justin, we got to make sure that everybody loves us. And they love us because of excellent customer service and deal flow. Yeah. People actually want to make money and they want to do it in a way that makes sense to them, right? Because it's, it, it, and, and this is where I'm getting into the, to the investment fund because, um, 9% uh, per annum return, and it ticked up um, as of what's today. Today's July 20th, 2021. I saw it tick up to, uh, like we said, 9.13% annualized return paid out. If I did the math right on it, it was what, like 2.38% on the quarter. Is that what the payout was on the last dividend? Something Correct. like that. Okay. Uh, why only 9%? Why don't you want 12%? Why don't you want 15% on the annualized return? What's going on with 9%? Uh, that's my only beef right now. Oh, come on. 9% for this kind of safety is an amazing return. <laughs> Yeah, it's hard to beat 50, 60% loan to value ratio. I'll give you that on keeping it safe. But I mean, hey, if people will pay 12%, why not let them pay 12%, I guess, you know? Sure. And we certainly do. We have a good range. Um, you know, we do make longer term loans, as you mentioned, up to a 30-year fixed. Um, a lot of those borrowers are uh, self-directed retirement accounts looking for non-recourse loans. And so those are at much lower interest rates. So our real range from the interest rate perspective is going to be um, from 5% up to 12. And so the mortgage fund holds a really diverse mix of those short and long-term loans.
Okay. And also understand that the mortgage fund in order to be able to hit that 9% also earns the origination fees um, that are generated out of each loan. So at the end of the day, the fund again earns origination fees and interest. And then of course it pays its expenses, right? But it has no, um, it has no employees and very little overhead. So Marshall Reddick uh, manage the affairs. And so the biggest expense to the fund is a management fee, pretty standard in this type of structure. So at the end of the day, um, we're distributing that 9% based on interest rates earned of 5 to 12%. We really don't, as a debt fund, have the ability to get much higher than, say, 10% um, when lending at a maximum of 12%. Does that make sense? It makes sense. So is the origination then rolled into that annualized percentage? Is that what you're saying? The origination fund? It is. In essence, we're sharing uh, the origination fees with our mortgage fund investors, which is quite different than our direct lending model. In the direct lending model, we don't take a piece of the interest rate. We earn the loan fee paid by the borrower uh, to arrange that transaction, much like a mortgage broker. Okay, but it is the lender who earns 100% of the interest. Whereas then again, in the mortgage fund, the fund earns every day interest and loan fees, pays its bills, and then waterfalls the remaining profit um, in a percentage pro rata basis across hundreds of different capital partners that are investors in that fund. And as cool, calm, and collected as you are right now, Patrick, I have a feeling you're a pretty smart guy and you do a lot of numbers behind the scenes. Is the origination fee, in essence, the number calculated based on number of originations to cover the management fee of the fund? Is that is that kind of the basis of how you guys come up with the number or how does the origination fee fluctuate, if at all? Uh, the origination fee, we try not to fluctuate at all. The only exception to that origination fee, uh, by the way, it is a 2% fee or two points, which is percentage of the loan amount. Um, but we do make exceptions for well-qualified, well-experienced borrowers with whom we have a relationship. So we will definitely lower that for the right party, um, but we strive for 2%, right? That's a, a standard number. Uh, again, you could get more, right? The weekend warrior will borrow at three, four, five points and 18% interest. That is not the borrower who we want to lend to. Instead, we keep very, very tight margins, um, loan fee and interest included to attract the best of the best talent and make these deals as safe as possible for everyone. Stephanie, do you do anything with the fund as well, or is it just particularly Patrick and the other part of the team and you handle kind of the individual deal transaction investments? Yeah, I usually uh, handle the individual transactions, but I'm in a, involved in the fund, um, you know, uh, sending Patrick, you know, potential deals that the fund should take on. Um, and then, of course, outside of that, I am a fund investor along with Patrick. So I guess I'm involved in that in that aspect as well. Well, and don't think I missed that point you guys told me before the show about that you guys also invest in your own fund, in essence. And, and I see that as um, an indication that you actually believe in the fund, which isn't a negative thing at all. If you're willing to invest in the fund of your company... 
um, willingly, right? Because I'm assuming it's not a requirement of like a vested stock option of being an employee, though there may be some benefits there, but you're choosing, I assume, to invest in your own fund. Do you guys invest in the stock market as well? Do you have a diverse portfolio, as they say? Or, or tell me what tell me what else is the what else is the secret sauce besides Marshall Reddick? Or do you believe so much in Marshall Reddick that that is your main investment fund personally? Um, I invest in stocks. Um, obviously, my 401k is in stocks. Um, I'm a direct lender. And then I also, um, you know, uh, am a fund investor as well. So heavily involved in, in Marshall Reddick. And I believe that you should practice what you preach. But I also do, you know, stock market and other investments as well. Patrick, same question to you. Yeah, diversification, obviously, for any investor and their long term outlook is extremely key. Right. So um, I can't figure out the stock market, though. It really is not something tangible to me. I feel like the big guys, the inside players are sort of like running it up and then profiting after the sell off by buying in. I mean, who knows? Whereas real estate, whether that be direct ownership, uh, buy and hold, fix and flip, wholesaling, or on the lending side as uh, you know, being a passive direct lender or mortgage fund investor, that's much more tangible to me. So um, while I do have some stocks, bonds, mutual funds that represents a lot uh, lower portion of my overall holdings, um, I have significant number of rental properties. I, I truly believe in the buy and hold, um, but I also actively lend directly one-to-one -one mortgages right on our own marketplace. And then as Stephanie mentioned, we both have a significant position in our mortgage fund. And that's just, it adds so much credibility right? Anytime you get on the phone with an investor and it's like, well, what are you doing with your money? Like imagine talking to your financial advisor and you're, they want you to invest in this stock so badly. And well, is, do you invest in that? And if they don't say yes, then I better just find a new financial advisor. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, there, there are other things, but you know, we get to see the inside track. And I think that from a safety and a yield perspective, we offer some really good values. Do you, a side note question here, do you actively manage your own rental properties as well? Or do you have a property management company take care of that for you? I, I wouldn't be a buy and hold investor if I had to manage it myself. Well, I'd have pulled out my hair with tenants and toilets and vacancy and maintenance. Of course, <laughs> I have a property manager. Ridiculous not to. Well, and, and I just see the numbers, you know, changing a little bit based on the questions I'm asking. But that's okay. I'm just I'm just asking to 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 build the relationship here. So. Um, let me let me ask one more for you guys, and then I'll let you go because I know you're busy out there on the way. Is West Coast still doing deals these days, or what? What's the deal? Are you guys open and uh, and for business, or how are we feeling this week? We are. Yeah, okay. okay. business is normal. Good. That's excellent. And I ask that because of geography. And you guys have a lot of uh, transactions that seem to be funded on the East Coast. Is there a particular reason for that? Um, and and what are you guys analyzing? when deciding on geographical areas? Um, it's where we have a footprint. So um, we have a footprint in a lot of the different markets that we uh, lend in specifically, you know, that are on the on the west or east coast. Uh, we do lend on the west coast as well. Um, but it's, it's really important that we have a footprint where we lend. From a footprint perspective, we're talking about relationships, brokers, property managers, contractors, attorneys, people that we need 
in the event of catastrophe or, you know, uh, that phone call that's not like I need to Google a property manager and find someone to go secure this asset. I mean, there's a number of different things. So um, we also think of it from a, um, a foreclosure perspective. Keep that in mind, right? We stay out of markets with adverse or lengthy or expensive foreclosure processes Right. Because, I mean, I've heard some horror stories like you're never going to find us uh, lending money in New York. But as long as we've got a good footprint there, we've got good relationships there, good borrowers there, then that's where we want to be. It's not necessarily a function of that's an amazing economic market, you know, um, and we do love the West Coast. Right. Don't get us wrong there. I find that it's really, really, really competitive in California. Right on top of the fact that it's really, really, really expensive. So the margins are so thin and the risk is so great because the loan amounts are so high and therefore the interest tact can just eat you up so fast. So is it really worth it from the borrower's perspective um, to take on a million dollar loan at the end of the day to earn 50 grand? A lot of times it's not where you could make that same 50 grand as a fix and flipper and North Carolina um, on a $250,000 loan. So, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into where we lend and why we lend there. I see uh, on the website, it looks like Florida being number one, Tennessee being number two, if I have that correct off the top of my head. And then is it North Carolina number three or Chicago or Illinois number three? Um, why Florida? What's going on in Florida that I don't know about? I know everybody's moving there right now, but what else is going on? Uh, we have, you know, some borrowers that we've worked with, you know, for a decade out there that we're doing a lot of business with. Um, we also have an office in Florida, Cape Coral, Florida. Um, so that's, you know, a reason we definitely, you know, have more boots on the ground in Florida um, than, you know, somewhere where we don't have an office. The same goes for Tennessee, right? We haven't spoken about that, but we uh, obviously have an office here in California. We have two in Texas. We have an office in Tennessee outside of Nashville, and then we've got the office in Cape Coral. So those are going to be more of our strongholds just because we have our own Marshall Reddick uh, independent contractor realtors that are running around waving the Marshall Reddick flag. And as any you know, true real estate agent that's out there pounding the pavement, earning commissions, anytime that they've got an investor deal right, that can't go conventional lending, they've got unlimited capital behind them in a private lending department that they can call on. What a value add resource for that real estate agent to be able to make a phone call to Stephanie and in seven to 10 days, boom, we've got a viable deal. What information do you want people to have if they're interested in investing, whether active, semi-passive or completely passive? What do you want them to go to the website? How do you want them to reach out to you guys directly? Website, phone call, um, you know, uh, phone call is always great. We, we love um, speaking to people and we're, you know, especially being in real estate available really 24 seven. What's the phone yeah. number? No, go ahead. What's the phone number? Um, my personal cell phone. Well, no, 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 you don't have to give me that. I'm not saying that. I'm not, <laughs> wait, let's back up. Let's two steps back. Uh, the number you want people to have if they do want to, is there an office number, Stephanie, you would like them to have to call or anything like that? There is. We all have our direct, uh, direct lines. Um, and then we do have a, a main line, but the direct line's better. Um, again, each of us have an individual line. 
Yeah, so, um, but you'll find that we're pretty proactive, right? All of our cell phones are listed on the signature block of our emails. So specifically, if you'd like to contact Patrick, 949-885-8173. 949-885-5170 for Stephanie. <laughs> Excellent. Well, guys, yeah, get some good information on that website before we let you go, right? You're going to find the invest tab if you want to invest with Marshall Reddick. Find the borrow tab if you want to borrow money from Marshall Reddick. And if you want to find the Marshall Reddick University, check out the learn tab. We record everything we do. We all post different articles to our individual blog pages based on current events and things that are happening in the market and in, in market all over the country, if you will. So find some excellent resources there, but never be afraid to pick up the phone and give us a call. We'd love to speak to you. And you guys list on there the specific terms of what you're willing to lend under. So, and I did have one more question before I go. You guys, your guys' space is in the residential area. Do you lend on commercial? Do you lend on mixed use or no? Are we purely looking at residential? And then I think you guys do new construction as well. So if it was a raw land to build deal, um, but is residential your sole space? Correct. Yep. Residential is our sole space. Um, one to four units. We will break that and go up to, you know, 12 to 20 units for the right deal. Um, but, but no, you know, um, hotels, office space, real, uh, retail space, things of that sort, all residential real estate. What if I have like a 150 unit apartment complex, all residential, but we're commercial, but what do you, what do you think? If you uh, want to borrow 10% loan to value, sure. <laughs> That's a little aggressive. Let's say 50%. But no, you know, we're not going to be the right lender for that type of deal. Anybody doing that size, you know, 50 plus really needs to be borrowing from an institutional lender that's going to get you the best bang for your buck in terms of loan to value, interest rate, and term. We could get something like that funded, but we would be a very temporary hold, bridge loan, if you will, and, and we're not. We're going to tap out really at the mom and pop space, which is going to be up to about 20, 25 units. That's fair. I can't blame you. You guys know what your space is and you stick to it is what it seems like. And I think that that's where you're protecting or doing your best to protect investors at is, um, in essence, staying in your lane, right? I think that that's where a lot of people in real estate, they'll start in one place and then they'll have the dream of having, you know, 50 different routes when they're still within their first 12 months, right? So I think that that is something you guys do very, very well. And again, your transparency, I, 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 your website always intrigues me sometimes when I catch, you know, I call it creative thinking time in the day. So sometimes when I'll take like a quick 60, 120 seconds, I'll just pop on Marshall Reddick and see what deals are out there, right? Looking to be funded today. So, you know, that's fun. And I'll jot down some quick math and some quick notes and, and just see what I can find out there. So it's always a good time, but I appreciate your time. Is there anything that I've missed? Anything that you want to tell people that I haven't asked about or hit on um, now is your time to shine guys no i really appreciate the time today and um, you know real estate investing can be scary but you got to take the plunge at some point in time and i think that you know stephanie and i are both um good products of that right we practice what we preach we're both investors um and we get to support investors every day so don't be afraid um don't let the fear petrify you right take the plunge don't expect to hit a grand slam your first time 
right? And in fact, if you lose money the first time, it's not the end of the world, right? Get back in the saddle, keep investing. The experience that you earn helps you become a better investor, whether that means you're buy and hold, fix and flip, private lender, whatever it is that you're doing, you have to experience more and more, learn from your mistakes to ultimately become the best investor that you can be. Yep, I totally agree. Take calculated risks and get the experience. And like Patrick said, just dive right in. Excellent. Thank you guys so much for your time. Justin Kazepa's Today's Real Talk.com. Today's Real Talk.com. Today's Real Talk.com. Catch you next time. <laughs>